Yeah, we'll probably look, manage to last longer than that. Uh, got Bible study, new moon coming up on Monday at 7 o'clock. Monday, 7 o'clock, new moon Bible study. The months do keep flying by. I was just thinking the other day, man, I thought 2019 just got here and we're already a month through it. Well, last time we got into 1 Corinthians 11 and discussed hair links and attitudes and, and then some issues about Passover <coughs> that they needed some instruction on. <coughs> and indeed, there's a lot of instruction there for us and in manner and attitude and so on as we keep the Passover. But this week we come down to chapter 12. He introduces another subject, so we'll go into this about spiritual gifts. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant, implying that they were ignorant and that they needed to be uh, taught They needed to learn. They needed to understand some things that they could not or had not grasped. And he says that in the next verse. You know that you were Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols even as you were led. So he tells them right off the bat, you didn't know anything about God. You didn't know anything about Christ. You didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit of God. You were just... Gentiles carried away to dumb idols. So all they had ever known in religion was idols that couldn't speak, whether of wood or of stone or gold or whatever they might have been, or fantasies about whatever gods they thought were flying around in the universe. And that would be close to what some of them worshipped was demons and Satan who were flying around in the universe. So he establishes right here to whom he is speaking. And we need to understand this chapter in that light. And that comes up here pretty quickly uh, that needs explanation. So understand they were ignorant of spiritual gifts truly from God and that they had just been idol worshippers, nothing more. They knew nothing of God the Father, of Christ, and the Holy Spirit. That's the bottom line here to start with. Now, I'm saying that in light of verse 3. He says, Wherefore I give you to understand, I'm giving you something here to understand. You've been ignorant. Now understand this, that no man speaks by the, uh, no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus, or Emmanuel, accursed. If you have the Spirit of God, you're not going to call the Son of God accursed. I think that's clear to all of us what that means. We wouldn't do that. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. Now, here comes a problem uh, for Protestants, let's say, because there are many people who are so-called Christians, who accept Christ's name, who go by Christ's name as Christians, and yet we have heard and learned and attested to by many scriptures over decades 
that these people do not have the Spirit of God. As Christ told the Pharisees, you worship, you know not what. And we have Acts 5, 29 and 32, which indicate very clearly that God only gives His Spirit to them that obey His laws and His ways. And yet we have a whole body of so-called Christians out there who do not obey. They say His laws are done away with. So how can they say He is Lord but by the Holy Spirit? In other words, do they have the Holy Spirit if they call Him Lord? What about what Christ said when He says, You say to me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say. Is there a contradiction here? No, there is not. What we have to do is understand this in the context. Context always makes a difference because I could go, as we have before, and you did before you ever came here, and saw that the people of the world are not Christians, even though they have that name on their church. And they will tell you Christ is Lord. Uh, Make no bones about it. They will do that. Well, if they don't have the Spirit of God, how can they do that? Because it says here you can't. All right, understand then that these were Gentiles who had not known God. And therefore, they could not know who He was or who Christ was, and they would not have called Him Lord. If you don't know someone, don't know anything about Him, you're not going to call Him Lord. So that's the audience that he is speaking to. Now, how did knowledge of Christ as Lord come? It came through him and his teaching of his disciples to become apostles, and through the ministry that they ordained is the way that people back then learned about Christ and who he was and what he was. There was no mass communication either. It had to all come by word of mouth from those very, very few who knew who he was. So the knowledge of who he was came through them by the Holy Spirit, which came in Acts 2, and they were then made able to speak of him. They were told to stay in Jerusalem and keep quiet until the day of Pentecost. And then the Holy Spirit came in power, and not only the apostles and the people that were with them, the 120, saw that demonstration, but so did people from all over the world who were there for the feast. They saw that demonstration, and many began to be converted in that day and the next day and so on as others heard and learned. So there were a lot of people then in, let's say, Jerusalem area and later in other areas, who, having heard of Christ through the Holy Spirit, came to accept that name, but never came to accept Him or what He taught. So it was by the Holy Spirit that the knowledge of Him came, undoubtedly, had to be. The only way I could have gotten there. But then people appropriated that name who did not have that spirit, and they began to call Christ Lord too. Simon Magus was one of them there in Acts 8, 7 or 8, whichever it is, where he saw the Holy Spirit coming when the apostles baptized people. 
And he says, oh, I want that. So he offered money. And Peter, in English apparently, said, go to hell with your money. So, did he know about Christ? Was he willing to call him Lord? Well, apparently he founded the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church calls him Lord. Now they're beginning to say Muhammad is Lord, but that's just the Pope. You know, we've always had that expression, is the Pope Catholic? And now I'm not so sure. <laughs> you can't prove anything by that anymore. Uh, now he's buddying up with the Ishmaelites. And that's all prophetic as well. But anyway, the point I want to make here is just because somebody says Christ is Lord does not mean they have the Holy Spirit. They learned about Christ through people who had the Holy Spirit. Then they appropriated his name, but not his doctrine. So even though they use the name, they still are only Christian in name, and they do not understand nor have the Holy Spirit, because he won't give it to them unless they obey. And that they're utterly set against, is obeying what he said. Whether it's Catholic or Protestant or whoever accepts the name of Christ, they learned about it ultimately from those who had the Spirit. And if they did not come in contact with people with the Holy Spirit themselves, let's say in the last 100, 200 years, this book was written by men who had the Spirit of God. And if they picked up a Bible and had never heard a preacher of any kind anywhere and started reading this, and then they accepted the name of Christ, the only way they learned about him was through the Spirit of God through these pages because it is in these pages. <clears throat> so just because they say Christ is Lord doesn't mean that they have the Holy Spirit. He was talking to Gentiles here who did not know anything about God and had been introduced to it by perhaps Timothy and various others, and now Paul was there to speak with them as well. So, the subject, then, is spiritual gifts, that which is imparted by the Spirit of God. So after he kind of clears the air here and said, you didn't know anything about the Spirit of God until somebody who had it came and told you about it, uh, now let's talk about what it can do, the powers of that Spirit. Verse 4, now there are difference, differences in gifts but the same Spirit. So he says, and he's going to go on down and explain, there can be different gifts of God. He says, all good uh, and perfect gifts come from God above. And not just gift, but gifts. So different people will have different gifts. Uh, there's more than one gift. God is, God's sack isn't that empty that he only has one thing to give. He has many, many different things, just like the fruits of his Spirit. Uh, there's quite a number of them. Some are listed there in uh, Ephesians 5, or Galatians, I'm trying to say. And uh, there are other things that God has as some of his characteristics that aren't even listed there that you can find in other parts of the Bible. 
angels are just examples, some of the major ones, of course, but not the only things. So he says there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. They all come from the same source. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. Uh, everything is not always going to be done exactly the same way. Now, Paul had one way of doing things, and yet Peter's personality was a pole apart from Paul. Paul had been trained in uh, scholarly religion. Peter had been trained as a fisherman and uh, didn't even speak upper-class uh, language. Uh, could barely get by probably in conversation in some respects. And those who were educated recognize that. You know, somebody goes from one of our major universities, let's say, and have had training uh, in, in what they term, at least, higher class education, goes down to some place where they're still ignorant and can't speak good English, it's pretty obvious pretty quickly. And to the guy who can barely speak English, uh, the Harvard guy is discerned pretty quickly, you know. Uh, we can see these things. So he's saying he and Peter and James, John, all had the same spirit, but they had different ways of doing things, different gifts as well, as we'll see. But, uh, for instance, John had a gift, I think, from God through his personality of more love than any of them. And he was closer to Christ as a human being than the others were. When they wanted to know something from Christ, they would say, John, you ask him. We're afraid to, uh, but he, he has a closer affinity to you. And John even said that. So, different people will do different things. And I think we've all experienced that uh, through the decades in the Church of God. You'd have a new minister come in every three, four years, three, four, five years, whatever it happened to be, but it wasn't usually too long in one spot. And uh, you'd have a totally different administration. This guy would do things this way, and this one would come in and change it all and do it a wholly, completely different way. And we had to learn to kind of roll with the flow there, recognizing that each one of them represented a greater organization and cause, but they just simply had different personalities. And in any one congregation, some would like this guy's approach, and others wouldn't like it, and a new one would come, and the others liked this one, and didn't. the ones that liked that one didn't like this one much. Haven't we all been there? Um, so there are differences in the way that things are done, but the same Lord. And hopefully always, no matter what the personality and the modus operandi of each one, they were preaching Christ and Him crucified and resurrected. That they were preaching the truth of God, even though some said you had to eat down at, sit down at six and have two forks and three spoons every night or whatever, and others said it's okay to drink soup out of your bowl. It's just differences of personality. And there are differences of operations. 
but is the same God which works all in all. So, uh, different types of activities, uh, and we saw that. Some were young and wanted the whole congregation to go out and run five miles with them every day. And uh, others uh, just wanted to read books all the time. It's just totally different. Different types of activities and, and organization. So we're all pretty familiar with that. But these Gentiles weren't, see. They hadn't had the experience you and I have had. They had just come out of the Temple of Diana or wherever and were being taught the truth. So he's trying to explain to them, uh, we don't need to be yellow pencils. That was always a funny thing to me that that was something Rod Meredith used to use all the time as an example. I remember it from freshman Bible class. God doesn't want us to be yellow pencils. Can't all be just alike. We have to be different. And he might even quote these two verses for that matter. And then he insisted in his administration that we all be yellow pencils. He denied it constantly and then did it. So he wanted all the ministers to be just alike, just like him. Uh, and I didn't, my personality wasn't like his whatsoever. Uh, so I lived with that when he was my boss and tried to get along with it because he was different than I was. But that doesn't mean he wasn't teaching God's truth because he certainly was. So I'm not trying to knock him here. And just that example came because I was sitting here with a yellow pencil in my hand. Verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. So, when we're baptized, and by the laying on of hands, God uh, begins His work in us uh, through that, well, the word won't come to my mind where gestation is all I can think of, but that beginning anyway, when, when we're fertilized with His Holy Spirit. Uh, we have it, and it will be manifested in different ways in different people. You know, you look at people, and, and they're all different. Everybody is unique. There are not two people that are just alike anywhere. Even uh, so-called identical twins will have some differences in their personalities, in their voice. Uh, sometimes it's almost undiscernible, but there are some minute differences. So, that's rare, but obviously, looking at society in general, everybody has a different approach to life. And you might not like somebody because they don't act like you do. Uh, but, how can we criticize somebody if they're not just like us? Woe be to the world if the whole world was like you. Woe be to the world if the whole world was like me. Uh, you know, you have your problems and I have my problems. We all have our difficulties we work on. But he says, that spirit can work with anybody. I think that's kind of the point here is no matter what your background, where you came from, if you were converted and you're given that spirit, you're supposed to profit from it. You're supposed to be empowered by it. That seed of begettle, there's the word, means something. 
So we should have some fruits if we have that spirit. And it can be manifested in people who knew nothing of God and were just as carnal as the day is long. And once converted, they begin to have a change in attitude, a change in direction. <clears throat> but they were still different, quite different. And he, he explains that in verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. Now, out in the world, there are people who tend to be stupid and ignorant. And there are people who seem to have a certain amount of wisdom, maybe worldly wisdom. But they have the capacity to understand and to grasp what the effects will be if they do this, this, or this. They can discern that. There are other people that just go on completely blindly who do not consider the consequences of anything. You know, if your tires are rated for 90 miles an hour and you're driving 150, you should be able to figure out the consequences here somewhere. So, some people naturally are wiser than others. And I think God gives gifts to people somewhat based upon their particular personality. If you have, we all have our strengths and our weaknesses, obviously. But God will give you spiritual gifts based on the stronger part of your personality, not necessarily the weaker part of it. Although there are times, I'm sure, when our weaker side can be strengthened and perhaps be used as well. I won't say that there's a clear-cut line there, but but he tends to strengthen us where we're strong, and hopefully we'll overcome the weaknesses. But anyway, some are given wisdom. Uh, to another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. Uh, a little bit of thought on that again comes to mind is the... Uh, the parable of the talents. Some people have one talent, some have two, some have three. Uh, and he expects us to use the talents that we have to further his purposes and to do good with. To serve and help others with the talents that we do have and develop those and increase them. So, if you have, by nature, a certain talent, then God says, don't bury it. Uh, develop it, use it for the benefit of others. So I think that in saying that, he says, I recognize a talent there. Now I want you, through my spirit, to develop that so that it is of higher use than what you've been using it for. And our reward is based, in part at least, on whether we use those talents to further his purposes and to help each other, or do we bury them and not offer assistance of whatever kind whenever we could be able to. So wisdom, and another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. And there again, some people naturally like to read, to study, to learn, and they accrue knowledge over time that others who don't do that don't have. Well, the Spirit of God can work on the knowledge they have to take them to another level. 
I think Paul would be an example there. He had been highly trained as a Pharisee and gone to all their schools and learned everything there was to learn. <clears throat> so he was a scholar, a scholarly type, uh, and God used that to write quite a few books of the Bible, that he had that ability to write, to understand. And at times, his scholarship kind of got in his way, because Peter said, I don't understand everything Paul wrote. Some things are hard to grasp. Well, Paul understood it, but it was a little too complex for Peter to get it. And Peter wrote very much in the simplicity of Christ. You read First and Second Peter, and uh, there's not much there that's hard to understand. Maybe hard to accept. It's just not hard to understand. But I think God used that talent that Paul had and caused him to write some things that would cause people to be taken and snared and deceived. Even as Christ did the same thing. He spoke in parables, not that they might understand these nice pastoral pasture farm stories, but so that they could be snared and taken and deceived. If they hadn't been deceived, they'd have had to been destroyed. If they'd understood and then rejected, he had no choice but to destroy them. He loved them enough to speak in such a way that they couldn't understand. And Paul did some of the same thing. So there's a reason that God included some of the things Paul wrote. And boy, have the Protestants made hay with them. Not very good hay, but they made hay. Okay, to another faith by the same Spirit. Uh, we have all met people who seem to walk in faith, who seem to trust God, who don't tend to worry too much because they put their burden on Christ. He has said, put all your care on Him, for He cares for you. So, we don't have to carry the weight of all these things, and we're under various temptations, trials, troubles, and tests right now, right here. And we need to be able to put our care on His shoulders and on His back and not worry about the outcome. He is going to take care of it. We've all asked Him to, haven't we? Over and over and over again, we've asked Him to. Now, do we believe he's going to, or do we not? Some can accept his word and say, I know it will be taken care of, and others worry too much. So, some tend by nature to have more faith and trust, and some tend not to as much. So, we need to develop those things, but... By dint of our personality, we will have various gifts of the Spirit that can be given, and His Spirit intermingles and works better if we tend by our personality to have a strength in that particular area. It just works easier. It works better. You know, I sometimes I play a little solitaire uh, in the evening or whatever, and I can usually get to sleep in about five minutes doing that, ten, 
about the third game, I wake up later in the chair. So it kind of puts some relaxation. But I've noticed in the cards, a lot of times you can kind of tell as they come up whether this game's going to work or not. They're either compatible and they fit each other, or they don't. Now, sometimes they can turn around mid-game, but but often you can kind of tell the way they're going, whether they're going to fit together very well or not. And it's the same with God working with our spirit. If everything comes together in a certain area in our personality, then it's easier for the Spirit to work with that. If you don't like to read, period, it's hard for His Spirit to work with your knowledge level. If you tend to be those who blunder along and make mistake after mistake because you haven't learned wisdom, it's harder for His Spirit to work with you in that area. faith the same way. Some people don't trust nothing uh, from childhood, and other people tend to be more trusting than others. Now, with humans, you've got to be careful, because God says, trust no man. Uh, we have to trust Him, and our faith, then, is in God, not in man. So, <clears throat> if you don't like me, or you don't like the way I do things, do you trust God that since he put me here and since he gave me the knowledge he did and told me where to go and what to do, do you have faith that he can cause that to work in spite of me or do you have problems because you look at a man instead of to God? Our faith, I mean, we can have confidence in a human being because we can watch what they do and we can say, okay, He's going the right way, saying the right thing, and we can have some confidence there, but our trust, our ultimate trust, has to be in God, that he will take care of whatever needs taken care of. One of the reasons we have problems here is some began to focus on me, and then they started to look for faults, and they began to make false accusations or highly exaggerated accusations or even some wild imaginations, and first thing you know, they didn't trust God to take care of things here. They decided that they were better equipped to take care of things than the one God had appointed to do it. So they pulled away, and they're going to find out, I believe, that they should have trusted God, and that God can take care of me. Some of them decided it was their job to straighten me out. And that hasn't worked too well for them. Because in their views, I'm still not straightened out. And if I'm still not straightened out, they can't work with me. So, uh, I think they got a problem. I think they haven't trusted God. Peter had his problems. Paul had his problems. Everybody has except Christ himself. But was that a reason to deny Paul, or to deny Peter, or James, or John? Herbert Armstrong had his problems. So did Ted. Uh, I don't know whether Ted ever got straightened out, but I think God was working with Herbert Armstrong pretty closely, and 
I think he did the job that God had for him to do in spite of himself. And I think if I get the job done that God put me here to do, it will be in spite of myself. Because we all are our own worst enemy and we all get in our way, our own way, more than anybody else's. The greatest idol that you and I have is the idol of self. We like to put ourselves ahead of man. We like to put ourselves ahead of God. And that creates a problem for all of us. Do you have faith that he can straighten you out? Do you have faith that he can cause you to achieve salvation? He says he works his salvation in us. We work out our own salvation with fear and trembling before him, but without his spirit, we can't overcome, we can't grow, we can't be close to him, because our spirit has to combine with his spirit to produce anything. So, some have faith that he works through more than others. To another, the gifts of healing by the same spirit. Now, healing and faith are tied together very closely there in James, where he says that the prayer of faith will heal the sick. So, faith and healing go together, but some might have their faith demonstrated in this way, and others through the venue of healing. Because uh, over the years, I noticed that some ministers believed in healing more than others did. Some got more prayers answered by the laying on of hands in prayer than others did. And over the last 20, 30 years, not too many have had answers very often anywhere. Some here, some there, some help. But when we're being spewed out and chastened, we don't get as many answers as we do when we are very, very close to God and working with Him and He with us in that way. So, he says there's a lot of different people here. You all came from paganism, and the Spirit of God is going to be manifested in different ways in all of us. He mentions some more examples. Verse 10, to another the working of miracles. Healing is a miracle, but other types of miracles as well. Uh, Moses had various kinds of miracles. Elijah did. Elisha did. Uh, various ones. And Revelation 11 says that those same miracles are going to be done again. So everything in the Old Testament is there is an example of what will be done in the New Testament. They were all written for us at this age. Every one of them. Uh, going on to another prophecy. Uh, that could mean preaching as opposed to what we traditionally call prophetic teaching, but it can have to do with both. To another discerning of spirits. Some people can become acquainted with someone and if there is a different spirit and attitude there, perhaps demons lurking around, some people can discern that pretty quickly. Other people wouldn't know a demon if there was one on the end of their bed. 
just they just don't have that discernment. So discerning a spirit and attitude and what is behind spirits and attitudes, uh, some have, some don't. To another, different kinds of tongues, languages. Uh, those languages spoken there in Acts 2 were an absolute miracle. Those people had not been trained in different languages. I mean, people can. Some people have a proclivity for language, and they can learn four, five, six, seven, eight languages pretty easily. Other people have trouble learning their native tongue. But this is talking about, uh, I think, spiritual capacity with tongues, which we're going to have again. It's an absolute necessity. We're going to have people coming as part of the 10% from all over the world, and some of them won't speak English or very much English. I've run into that in different places in the world where I had to have an interpreter because people who were there listening and they had no clue what I was saying unless somebody was interpreting, I hope honestly, what I was saying. So I believe that God is going to have to give the gift of tongues again when people come so that they can understand what's being said. How are you going to build a temple if you have no idea what they just told you to do? Uh, I, I think it's an utter necessity that we have the gift of tongues at the end. To another, the interpretation of tongues. One might be able to speak in various languages, and then another one uh, might need to interpret. Because some don't understand and need the interpretation. But the ones speaking in different languages there in Acts 2 were understood by people who, I mean, they may have been speaking in Aramaic, and people understood it in their own language. There's where the miracle was, not schooling in Spanish or Greek. But all these work that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So God, through his Spirit can work through people in different ways, different people, different ways, different gifts. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. uses a very simple analogy here. You have a human body, and as you look, you only have one of each thing, Right? You may have two eyes and two arms, but they're not exactly the same. If you take your left arm on and put it on your right shoulder, it'll be pointed backward. It won't work. So it's different. Uh, even our arms, our legs, our feet, our toes are all different. You have left ones and right ones and so on. So each body has all kinds of different members or pieces and parts. But it's all one. This is critical, this is simple, but it's critical to grasp. Because as human beings, we have trouble doing what Paul is trying to tell us here. Christ is one. And everybody is part of the body of Christ. <coughs> For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles 
whether we be bond or free, slaves or free men, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Now remember again the experience of these people who had come from various dumb idols. Some worship this idol, some worship that idol, and they didn't grasp the one body thing. Some made their own idols, and nobody but them, because this was their special little idol that they had created themselves and put on the mantle. So he's trying to explain, when you come together into God's church, we all should become one. And even though you are different personalities, you might have different gifts, you might have different abilities, we're all supposed to be in one spirit, one mind, not divided. That is the goal and the purpose of the church, is to be sure that we are all members of the same body and that we all speak the same thing and believe the same thing. That is a goal and a purpose. Now, I can remember telling someone at one time, he says, well, I don't believe in this. And I says, well, I'm not going to bug you about it. And my hope was that that individual would grow and come to understand and eventually grasp and believe the same as all the rest of us do. In that particular aspect, he was the only one here. That was many, many, many years ago, about 2005, 6, 7. Long time ago. And to this day, that individual has not grown in that area, still does not believe in that, will not accomplish it, will not do it. The subject was tithing in this case. Said, I tried that once and the windows of heaven didn't open for me, so I ain't ever doing it again. <laughs> open and shut case. No, I would have hoped that by now, all the scriptures we've gone through, that they would have learned. You know, there are things we understand about tithing now that we never understood in the Worldwide Church of God. Because we didn't understand the 10% that God was coming to bring together to build the end-time church, the temple. He is going to have his tithe. <laughs> the tithe of his people is his. And he is going to have his 10%. So it underlines the spiritual reason for a physical law. And we didn't know that. Now we do, so it should help us understand. There are a lot of things like that that we understand better today than we ever did before. So, we're to be one body. Verse 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, no matter where we came from, what we believed. Verse 14, For the body is not one member, but many. He was, as he wrote this, writing to a congregation of many people. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? doesn't matter what it says. It's connected. It's part of the body. If Christ put us in the church, then we're in the church. Uh, if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? You know, these, these various body parts have various and sundry functions. 
And he's been saying that all along before he began to explain this in terms of the body, that there are various functions, different operations. There are diversities of, of uh, administrations and, and everything. But we're all of the same body to work together. So different gifts, different abilities are given. Verse 18, But now has God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased Him. We all came to a point of conversion. We all came to the point of baptism. And God placed us in the body where He wanted us. Wherever you are, whatever part of the body you are, you were <clears throat> placed there. Now some will say, I don't like where God placed me. I should be this part of the body. A deacon, an elder, a minister, an evangelist, an apostle, whatever they aspire to. I shouldn't be the janitor here. I should be the apostle. I don't want to be a finger. I want to be a mouth. That's the one That's the one a lot of people choose. They want to be the mouth. They want to do the speaking. They want to do the talking. What if we were all mouths? I mean, just right here, I'm the one that was allocated to do the teaching primarily in Nelson. So here I am. I've been talking now for what? Quite a while. Now, what if we were all the mouth? This would be a babble of confusion. Because we are all the mouth. And we'd all be saying different things. And all talking at once. Because isn't that what mouths do? Except for Dorothy. And I've seen her talk too. I don't mean to pick on you. I love you. <laughs> but some of us are quieter and some of us are more gregarious and some of us just like to rattle. And uh, there's discernment there. Sometimes it's best to be quiet and some people have no clue how to do that. Uh, motor mouth. That's all they do is morning till night is talk, 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 drive you crazy. And maybe they're not the mouth. Maybe they need to back off that a little bit and be something else. <laughs> An ear. you got two ears and one mouth. I think we're supposed to listen twice as much as we talk. But we just need to recognize the fact that God has placed us where He wants us. And be content with that. There's been an awful lot of frustration over the decades in the church because people thought that they got slotted into the wrong place. And then they tried by polishing boots and various means to get to be something other than what they were among men. No. Accept what you are and develop your talents within your capacities. God didn't intend for everybody to be ministers or apostles, although some will contend that all that means in the Greek is one cent. And we were all sent, so we're all apostles. And we'll see down here before we're done, probably today, that all aren't apostles. Absolute contradiction of the first three verses of verse twenty, or three words of verse twenty-nine. We're not all apostles, but some will say that. 
because that's what they want to be. But that may not be where God put us. Would you rather accept where God has put you and be content in however you have been found? Or would you rather be frustrated and pushing, pushing, pushing for a job God didn't give you? I've seen people so frustrated they could hardly stand it because they couldn't be a deacon. Oh, it bugged them. They took every opportunity to try to do something so they could be one. And why didn't they just go about developing and learning and growing and serving? And if Christ decided they needed to be placed somewhere else, let him do it. Instead of them trying to do it and being frustrated about it. In my experience in the ministry, I saw that quite often. And you know what? When I saw somebody pushing their way up the ladder, I never ordained a one of them. Because I felt the attitude and the spirit were wrong. And they weren't content with what they had. They wanted something else, and they were going to be there no matter what it cost. It's not God's way. It's not God's way. What did he say? If you're bid to a feast, sit in the lowest chair. If somebody wants you to come up to a higher chair, fine. Go up to the other chair. But don't start there. Don't place yourself there because that is your view of where you ought to be. You know, you see a, a conference room set up with a U or a spokesman's club set up with a U shape with the tables. And you think you ought to be the director, so you want the middle chair at the head table. So you sit down there. Well, when the director comes in or the president, you're very likely going to be kicked down the rollways. It's true anywhere in God's church and organization. He says, take the lower seat, and if you need to be moved up, fine. I would hate to go into the kingdom of God, and there's 144,000 chairs there, and I analyze, and let's see, well, you know, where should I be in this pecking order of 144,000? I'm certainly in the upper half, maybe three quarters, and I'm really not so sure that I shouldn't be up there in the first 15 chairs. You know, we got the apostles, and, well, there's David and Moses. Maybe I, no, nah, no, I better be down a ways. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm number 60. Well, Christ is the one that's going to put us in that position as a bride wherever he wants us. And I would much rather be fighting over the 144,000 chair down there, musical chairs, trying to get that last one. And then you either stay in that one or the only way is up. Now, if I decide I belong in the 113,000 row, I might get moved back. Now, that would be really embarrassing. Here's the new bride of Christ, and you got a toe sitting in the ear chair. I'd rather be in the ear chair, thank you, uh, or the finger chair, or the cuticle chair, whatever chair there might be, and either be content to be there or be moved up and be told I'm an evil instead. Whatever. It's his judgment. He places us in the body as he sees fit, and he's going to place us in his kingdom as he sees fit.
And any time we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, we're in trouble. And we do that with each other all the time. My opinion's better than yours, and my conduct is better than yours, and, and I'm your judge, and on and on and on it goes. And yet Christ is our judge. They're all members but one body. Uh, all placed where God wants us. Good. Accept it. Be thankful for it. Be thankful for what you do have, not unhappy about what you don't have. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the neck, or the feet, I have no need of you. No, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. You know how much people have, trouble people have walking when they get a few toes cut off? They can barely get around. Those toes are there for a purpose and help balance the body and, and make it able to operate the way it does. A little toe can be gnarly and curled and perhaps not nearly as pretty as an ear or a nose, but hey, it has a function and it needs to do its job well. If you replaced, if you did an operation and you took my hand off and put a toe there, it wouldn't work very well. So why do we always want to rearrange what God has done? It's just silly. So he's telling them, God's put you people in the church. Uh, be content with wherever God puts you because he puts you where he puts you. That's his business. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. So God can make whatever part shine the way he wants it to shine. Uh, whatever peace we happen to be. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part, part which lacked. Now, you look at a human being, and there are just some parts that are prettier than other parts to the human eye. Now, God recognizes that, and he may want us to be one of those parts that wasn't quite so pretty by comparison. But he can give that part honor and beauty. Now, when he puts his bride together, it's not going to be fingers and toes. I mean, we'll all be changed into God. But this is an analogy. And those who may not have been so pretty here may be prettier in the kingdom than you can imagine. Because we don't know. We cannot read hearts and minds. Only God can. And I think that there's a lesson there for us in what has happened to the church these last 30 years. There were some that you or I might have thought were pillars in the church, full of faith and love and wisdom and service and whatever was a good trait to be in. They were it. There's somebody that will be faithful and endure to the end. You can just tell they're just they're that sincere, they're that solid. Uh, they're pillars. And when it fell apart, some of those people that you or I might have thought were pillars just crumpled. And others that you'd have thought, why in the world are they even here? Are still around and still obeying God. You and I would have been completely wrong.
in how we judged those people. The good, the bad, and the ugly. But Christ can read the heart and we can't. Why are you still here? Why am I still here? By the grace of God is the only reason. Not because we're anything. But he can make us honorable, can't he? The world tomorrow, we can shine like the stars. And that which was not so pretty can become beautiful. Verse 25, what's the purpose of all this? Why did he make the body the way he made it? Well, a man is made in the image of God. Has all the same body parts and basic same shapes as a man does. Women are different. They have that which complements a man, but they're not in the exact image of God. So what's the purpose? He put the human body together to be like his, which is joined together in a good way, every way. For this reason, verse 25, that there should be no division, no schism in the body, that everything works together beautifully. You don't have this one against that one. You don't have uh, gainsaying, backbiting, hurting, hurtful words, accusations, uh, different doctrines. We're all here to learn to speak the same thing, to get past those things, to get past personality problems and disorders, to get along well and work together beautifully and in a coordinated manner. That's what we're here to do. He put us together in a body where he wanted us and says, now work together and have no division. Work together efficiently. But that the members should have the same care one for another. We should have the same care for all of them. No, it doesn't make any difference. You and I have hurt various parts of our body at various times, haven't we? I've run my head into things and hurt it pretty badly at times. I've dropped things on my toes and hurt them pretty badly. I've broken fingers. Uh, I've done things that hurt different parts of my body. And you know, the one that I just hurt is the one that hurts the most. But my whole body hurts. If you break your finger, that just hurts you all over more than anywhere else. Now, the finger's feeling it worse than the rest of the body, but uh, the rest of the body feels it too. Because, because your brain knows pain. And when your brain feels pain, it doesn't matter what other part of the body is, finger, toe, or what, the whole body suffers because the brain is involved with all the other pieces, all the other parts. And we need to have the same care one for another. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Are there times when somebody starts telling you their troubles and, yeah, you could care less. You're more concerned about your own troubles than you are theirs. Do we have the same care one for another? It's like when somebody's telling a story and, you can't wait till they get done so you can tell yours. You know, you know, would you cut to the chase there? I got one better to tell. Somebody's hurting. We ought to all hurt. 
or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Do we? Can we? Or do we have certain jealousies? If somebody's blessed, or whatever way, can we rejoice with them, or are we jealous of it and say, well, why didn't I receive that blessing? Because we're selfish, generally to the core, and jealousy is not one of the fruits of the Spirit of God. It's one of the works of the flesh, is what jealousy is. Who does the jealousy hurt? The one that got the blessing from God? Or does it hurt the one who's jealous? That's the one it hurts. Hatred doesn't hurt the one you hurt, you hate very much. Hatred hurts you, because you're in a hateful mood and attitude. I have people right here that hate me, and they spend an awful lot of time watching everything I do. They look out their windows. I think some of them probably have binoculars. They're looking for sin anywhere they can see it. I had one tell me, I saw sin in your backyard. Another one tells me, I saw you sin here, or I saw you sin there. That's what they're looking for. It's what they find. Whether it was sin or not, they look at it and say, that was sin. So I'm a thief and a murderer and an adulterer and actually all of them, all ten. I'm all of those in the eyes of some here. And in the Spirit, I've committed all of those. So they got the right guy. But they live their life in hate, looking for more sin trying to confirm that I haven't repented, but I'm still a sinner. So they imagine all kinds of things and look out their windows. I mean, I've, I can do something, and before you know it, here's somebody drives up in a car taking pictures of what I'm doing. It's happened more than once. And some of them may have telephoto lenses. I don't know. But who's it hurting? It hurt me. I pay little attention to it. Oh, yeah, sometimes it's frustrating a little bit, but I I don't let it bother me. I don't think about them. I, they're out of my mind. It's as if they don't exist. I don't speak to them. I don't wave at them. I go on about my business as if they're not there, for the most part, until I have to pay lawyer bills, but uh, I deal with that, too. Do we all suffer with each other when we suffer? And do we rejoice when somebody is blessed? That doesn't mean to say, oh, well, okay. No, it means rejoice with them. Somebody gets a particular blessing, whatever it might be, we ought to just be so tickled. Maybe somebody gets healed. Maybe it's, well, why, why did God heal them? He didn't heal me. You know, we could be a little jealous of that. No, glory, enjoy it, rejoice with them, and then go to God and say, how about me too? Can I have that same blessing? And maybe he will, maybe he won't. That's up to him. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. God has set you wherever he's set you in particular. He made a, an informed decision where you would be in the body, what part of the body you would be. He goes on to explain, And God has set some in the church, first apostles, 
secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, or the gift of tongues. Now he sets some in all of these different places. Now you can't take one of those and say he made us all this because there's so many different ones, so, so many different parts and pieces, so they can't all be everything. Is your finger everything on your body? Is your finger an ear? Is it an eye? Is it a mouth? Is it a chin? No, it's just a finger. That's all it is. It can't have all of those, it can't be all those parts. Just as we can't be in the body and all have all these gifts or parts. We have different parts to play. So he said, he set some. First apostles, that designates that they're different from what was appointed second. And uh, thirdly, teachers. So he has set those offices himself. And you can't be presumptuous and say, I will be one of those, or I am one of those, unless God put you there. And presumptuousness and witchcraft are the same thing. Satanism. Satan was the most presumptuous being in thinking he could take over the number one chair. Not the 144,000th, or just as an angel, but the number one chair. And that didn't work out too well for him. So God has set us as he pleased. Some apostles, some prophets, some teachers, and after that, various ones, and he's explained up there, to one is given wisdom, to another, knowledge, to another, faith, to another, this. They don't all have all these things. And he goes on to say here, now here are some of the, the parts of the church, the different offices of the church, and everybody's not all of these. He set some here and some there and somewhere else, just like those other gifts. So then he says, verse 29, are all apostles? Obviously not. He's explaining that they're not. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? Nobody is all of these things. Have all the gifts of healing. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No, obviously not. He's put us in the body in different places. First of all, he uses the human body to say all the parts are different, and they're not all the same. Then he's saying, it's the same way in the church. All are pieces and parts, but they're all not all the same piece or all the same part. There are various parts in the administration of the church, in the administration of spiritual gifts. They are given different ones. And he has placed us all as he sees fit. So we have some who set themselves up as teachers. And there's a warning about that, that you're not to do that. But it is presumptuous. And he told the ministry to ordain those that they felt should be elders and ministers... He didn't give that authority to anybody else because it had to be done the way God wanted it done. So he has set it up that way. And I can show you many, many scriptures 
There's not one. There are, there are some gifts that are given only to the ministry. And I can show you example after example where they performed those things. Certain tasks, certain things. Uh, the only example in the Bible anywhere of anyone doing them was by a minister or an elder. Other things anybody could do. So uh, we need to understand where we are in the body and function well in that particular place that we find ourselves put. And I think this chapter makes that very, very clear. And those who think that they're this or think that they're that and they want to exalt themselves need to be careful because he says to take heed. If you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. If you humble yourself, you will be exalted. So we need to be very, very careful not to be presumptuous but to perform well is whatever we were made. Just like in the body, each piece performs its duty. Just as in the church, each piece performs its duty. If you're not given any office in the church, it doesn't matter. We all have an office to fulfill, every one of us. Because Christ is joined together himself as a body that functions perfectly. He has joined the church together as a type of his body, and he wants it to perform together with uh, expediency, with efficientness, and see that that body helps all the other parts of the body. You know, if if I happen to catch my foot in a rat trap, my foot can't get out of it. It needs my fingers to go down there and lift the trap and open it so my foot can come out. Now, we are all members of the body and we're here to help each other. So whatever part of the body you are, if any other part is in trouble, you're here to help it. You are to be a type of Christ. If you're a thumb or a finger or a toe, you are to be as much like Christ as a toe as you possibly can be. We're all set here to serve the rest of the body in whatever capacity God has given us to do. And all of us can serve each other in unity and in harmony. And that's what he asks of us, that we work together without division, without schism, without disagreement, We're all to come to say the same things, to act the same way, not as yellow pencils, because we will always have different personalities, as explained here, but to work together to cause everything to work well and to help each other achieve that. So he's telling these Gentiles and us, you came from idol worship, You came from Protestantism, you came from Catholicism, you came from wherever you came from. Now, wherever you find yourself in the body of Christ, make it work to the benefit of the rest of the body. And you will be blessed for that.